So today we're continuing on in our journey through the New Testament, and we're in Matthew chapter 9. Um, I'm going to skip the section of old and new wineskins, and we're going to cover that in another gospel. Uh, you know, there's, there's, it's referenced many times, so it's not like we're not going to miss it. But I want to focus on one thing today, uh, specifically. I want to look at verses 18 through 38, and I want to look at their relationship to one question. While I was studying this week, one question kind of kept coming to my mind. Uh, and there was actually two questions that came to my mind, and, and it messed me up for the week until I got, I got here this morning. I normally get here around, around 7, and I, I spend some time just, it, just in the building. I got here this morning a little after 6, because uh, I wanted some extra time to, uh, to just sit with this message this morning. And I realized I was struggling over keeping something I didn't need. And so I was able to pull that the second question off. But the two questions, I'll let you know, the first one was, uh, is God there for us? Uh, and of course, this, the second one was, are we there for God? But we'll deal with that, we'll deal with that another time. Um, I want to deal with this question, is, is God there for us? Because this, this has come up so often in the last couple of years and even more so in the last several months. People asking this question, you know, I believe in God, I just, I just don't know if he's for me. I just don't know if he's there for me. And it's an interesting question, and this section of Scripture affords us the opportunity to kind of delve into that just a little bit. I want you to think about this. It is amazing to see the way Jesus heals. You read through the Gospels, and he just, he just heals. He just speaks a word, and it's done. And we can sit, and we can wonder about the power and the majesty of Christ and that's easy. It is so easy to when you're in the presence of God and things are happening, miracles are happening, people are getting healed. It's so easy to be appreciative of God and appreciative of Christ when everything is doing exact and when God is doing everything I want him to. So easy to love God when there's when I'm really just just tapping on the cosmic vending machine and it's just spitting out wish after wish, you know. But there's another side to that issue that I think is more important for us as Christians to not only understand, but have answers for. On one hand, you have, this, you have lives of wonderful testimonies, uh, and those people who, who seemingly everything they touch just works, you know? They, you, you get them involved because everything they do just like works out right, but secretly you hate them. Because everything they do works. Everything they touch is like gold. When you touch it, it turns right back to lead. But on one hand, you have those testimonies, and those people have they've experienced miracles in their lives, they've had healings in their lives, spiritual breakthrough. And then you have the majority of us, those who don't. I know a lot of people who think miracles and, and uh, healings in this supernatural should be commonplace. We're Christians. It should just be happening. Well, it, it, if, if it was, it wouldn't be very supernatural then, wouldn't it? Would it? It would just be natural. It's called supernatural for a reason. It's the exception, not the rule. And the question is, that's frustrating. Because there are promises in the scripture that tell us if we ask, we'll receive. Go to the elders and be anointed, and it, and, and it will happen. And then we go, and we get anointed, and we're in front of the elders, and it doesn't. Why? 
Does the Bible lie? Is God making false promises? This is part of the conversation that the world is having today about the church and not the the secular world. I'm talking about the post-Christian world. There's a phrase in Christendom right now uh, that most people don't even know exists. It's called an exvangelical. Not an evangelical, an exvangelical. And it's someone who grew up in an evangelical church and they've heard all the promises, they've heard all of the, all the, all the blessing passages, they've seen all this stuff, and it's just it's so wonderful, and nothing ever happens to them, and something happens to a friend of theirs, and they can't do it anymore. God is at fault, God lies, I can't trust the Bible, I'm out. Anyone ever know anyone like that? I've known him my whole Christian life. There was a time I almost was one. For centuries, there has been a debate in the church around the question, why some and not others? What is that? How does that work? It's not a fun debate. It's not a productive debate. And what usually ends up happening when people try to tackle this, I I, I get a kick out of this because we as people are so good at wanting to figure things out. We need a recipe. We need a method. We need the, we need the you know, if, if you would just buy my 32-part prayer, on a, 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 a DVD set on breaking through in prayer, prayer and, and getting everything you want out of the cosmic vending machine we call God, it's only $39.95, and you can break that down into three payments, and it's fine. We are so good at trying to figure out the recipe to get what we want from God, we've forgotten that he's God. He's, he's, here, to, he's here for us, but he's not here to serve us. Can, can I say that again? He's here for us, but he's not here to serve us. When you ring your bell, he doesn't come running. Oh, what do you need? What can I get for you today? You don't want to work? No problem. Trillionaire. That doesn't work. It's more like, oh, you don't want to work? Biden's your president. Here you go. (laughs) I'm so getting banned on YouTube. (laughs) I'm sorry, that wasn't in my notes. It just came from the depths of my soul. <laughs> anyway, move right along. <laughs> yep, Abel's over there thinking, and you complain about me. <laughs> Here's the thing. I understand people who struggle when the answer to their prayer is a no. Here's something I can promise you. God answers every prayer. He does. But sometimes the answer is no. We're pre-programmed not to hear that word. I can, I can prove it to you. How many of you have children? Right? They come and they ask for permission. They get to one parent. They get no. They didn't hear it. See, their brain has retranslated the word no to go ask the other parent. And when they get that answer from the other parent... What do they retranslate it to then? Go ask grandma. 
Because she'll let me do anything. <laughs> but I, I get it. I understand people who have a hard time with that, with that answer. And as much as we may not like hearing people complain about God, we, we do need to come to terms with it. Because it's, it's a question we've got to be able to answer. Have any of you ever been in the presence of miracles and you've seen breakthroughs in people's lives and you've asked yourself questions like this? Why them and not me? What's wrong with me? How about this one? What did I do that makes God not want to help me? Ever been there? I've been there. I've been there as a pastor. You know why? Because I'm a person. (laughs) We all run into these moments. Whether you like it or not, you're going to run into them your entire life. The question is whether or not you're going to recognize them. These are honest questions from people who tend to just be desperate and they're looking for an answer. People who are legitimately in physical, emotional, even mental pain. How should the church respond to these people? And how should you respond to yourself when it's you? What are the answers? Is this one of those moments where you just spit out the distrust in Jesus and just hope that works? It sounds like a great answer, but we all know inside of us it's not. When you think about this, you find someone, they've just had an accident, you pull them out of the car, there's a bone sticking out of their arm, and you grab their face very lovingly, you go, you need to trust in Jesus. I will trust in Jesus. Can you put the bone back in my arm? That would be great. I'll trust in Jesus later. But these canned responses that we have are a sign of one thing. We don't have an answer. We don't have an answer to one of the most fundamental questions that we have as Christians, not just unbelievers, but believers as well. When I was young in the Lord, um, new to this whole Christian thing, and remember, before I became a Christian, I was a pagan, so it was all about personal power and accomplishment. I believed that you had, you know, whatever, the force inside of you, however you want to say it, and that, that, like, Christianity was just, like, the better version of this thing. I didn't understand what was going on. And what I would hear from people who were more senior in the faith, they were the ones who had been in the church longer, they're the ones I should be learning from, they're the ones who should have the answers. I would hear something that sounded a lot like this. You weren't healed because you didn't have enough faith. So where's the cutoff line? Like if, if I need a job, is it, like, is it like this much faith? And if I need to be healed, it's like this much faith? And if I need to reach the top shelf at a supermarket, it's like this much faith? That a tall person would come around the corner and be kind to me? I mean, where, where, where does the recipe card tell me I've got to be in order for God to, 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 get, to bring to me what it is I'm asking him for. Because his word says I don't have because I didn't ask. I believed it was true because older Christians were telling me that. 
And what I found later on is that the older Christians didn't have an answer either, but this one made them feel good because they weren't the one dealing with the hardship. They were the one who was free from the pain or the injury or the doubt or the suffering. So it's very easy to say, you're not like me because you're not as righteous as I am. What you need is my level of faith. I drive to Syracuse all the time and I'm doing 85. I never get a ticket. (laughs) Blessed and highly favored. Nope. Because when I meet people like that, tell Jay about them. (laughs) Here's when they go to work. Here's the route they take. No. It was only after I began to actually read the Bible for myself, to study the Bible for myself, I began to see things that a lot of people don't like to talk about. See things like the fact that Jesus didn't heal everybody. That God didn't heal everybody. God would actually go to great lengths to allow people to stay in difficult situations if it fit his purposes. He was okay letting people stay sick if it fulfilled his purposes. You think about Joseph, his brothers beat him up, sold him into slavery. He, he was not only a slave, but then he was unjustly accused of rape and ended up in prison. I thought, I thought God liked this kid. Every time he turned around, he was saying, no, I won't do that because it would dishonor God. And all of a sudden, God let it happen. God let it happen because it was the only way to get him to the position where he could save the Israelite people. He had to go through hell to get to the purposes of God. The problem is we look at that and go, yeah, he just needed faith. He just needed to hang on there. It's so easy to see that when we're on this side of it, looking back, and we get to see all the things that came out of that hardship of the life. But we're not the ones who were in the little well. We're not the ones who got beat up by their brothers. We're not the ones who were sold into slavery. We're not the ones that were literally dragged for a month down the desert into Egypt. We weren't the ones that had to live that life. And a lot of times, we're not the ones who go home with kids and no food. Who go home and with, with, with a family that you can't provide for. We're not the ones that have to go home without a job and try to tell our spouse that, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but we're going to be homeless. We're, we're not the people who are living that life. But we're the ones that those people come to with questions. I serve God as much as I can. I lost my job. I lost my house. I love Jesus with all of my heart. My wife left me. Why does this happen? It's eye-opening when you stop to think that God is more than happy to let you go through it. And sometimes when you read the Gospels, you find that Jesus actually sneaks away from a crowd of people looking for healing because he doesn't want to get stuck there he has something more important to do. Mark one thirty eight. He had been healing people the, uh, the whole day, the day before. He was, they went to sleep that night. People started lining up. Jesus left early in the morning before people got there. The disciples went and said, hey, everyone is looking for you. And he says, let's get out of here. And he says the most amazing thing. Let's go to the next town so I can preach because that's why I'm here. To bring the gospel Sometimes God purposely leaves people in their afflictions because he finds value in it.
for the end goal, which is heaven. Real quick, easy example of this, Paul. <clears throat> you would think if, if God was going to heal someone of anything that was going on in this guy's life, it would be Paul. This was the guy he sent to bring the gospel to the entire Gentile world. And we know from history that Paul had vision problems. Paul referred to it as a, that, that God gave him a thorn in his side. God did not, let me, let, me, let me make sure I clarify what's going on here. God did not afflict him with vision problems. He had vision problems and God refused to heal it because there was something beneficial about it. You understand? Okay. But this is Paul. He's supposed to write most of the New Testament. How do you do that when you can't see? I mean, granted, I've seen people with vision problems writing. It looks something like this. You ever take your grandparents out to the restaurant? They don't even do that anymore. They just ask you to turn your menu around. <laughs> You're on the other side of the table. Okay, that's good. Some of you are like, I'm not laughing. You're sitting next to me. And we're supposed to go out to eat after this. God brought Paul back from the, back from the dead after he was literally stoned to death outside of a city. He healed him from snake bites. He saved him from being shipwrecked, but he wouldn't fix his vision. What's the deal with that? Why couldn't Paul heal himself? There's an old saying, never trust a faith healer with glasses. Right? Looking back on Paul's life, we can see, because Scripture tells us, that it was exactly the right decision. God made the perfect choice in his life to leave him in that affliction because of the outcome that we now see. But Paul had to live that life every day, kind of being led around. You know, and uh, I can't remember which book it is. Abel will probably help me out. He says, you see how big I signed this with my own hand? You don't remember either. It's fine. <laughs> I don't make any, you know, I, I, I never try to hide the fact that I don't remember stuff. I just don't. <laughs> Do you have scripture memorized? Nope, Google does. I'd ask Alexa, but she's weird. She can't even spell right half the time. <laughs> no, he writes that to let people know. He's writing it big because he can't see. But God left him there for the right reasons. But now let me ask you this. What about the life you're living? What about the life you're living, the people around you? What about them? How are they doing? How are you helping them? Can you help them? Do you have an understanding of why God does this? What is it that we're supposed to be doing? What do we do when we're still on this path of life and doubt comes knocking on our door and reminds us of all, things, all the things that God didn't do? That brings me back to our question. Is God there for us? Check this out, Matthew 9, 18 through 34. 
It says, while he spoke these things to him, to them, behold, a ruler came and worshiped him, saying, my daughter has just died. But come lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus arose, followed him, and so did his disciples. Of course they did. They're like, I got to see this. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind, touched the hem of his garment, and said to herself, if, I'm only, uh, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. Then Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room for the girls not dead but sleeping. Then they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report went out into all the land. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him. This is one of my favorite stories. Um, Two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They, uh, They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith. Let it be to you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. And they said, Right, tell everybody. And then they went and departed and spread the news about him all through that country. It's so human. It just, it just, don't tell anybody. Got it, tell everybody. They went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the rulers of demons. They were so bitter against the authority of Christ, they just—they literally called him the devil. He can get rid of devils because he's a devil. They paid no attention to everything they had just witnessed. They had just witnessed a resurrection, the healing of a long-term disability, the healing of lifetime disability, and mastery over the demonic. They just watched all of that happen, bang, 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 and still no faith, finding a way to criticize him. There are four types of miracles that happen in this passage that shows Jesus' power over this world. He's got the power over death. Is there anything that we would call certain other than death, maybe taxes. You get it. When the time comes and we die, we all, we all die. Death, death is a disease that affects one out of one of us. We all, we all die at some point in time. It's just a matter of when and how. This little girl, some people say, well, Jesus said she was asleep. She was just in a coma. She had just passed out because sometimes kids pass out. No, she was dead. The flute players and the whalers, the reason why that detail is added is because they were hired mourners. Back in those days, if you wanted to let people know that someone in your family had died, you wanted to make a big deal of it, you would hire, <laughs> this is weird, but it's just true, you would hire people to come to your house to cry publicly. It's just weird. Could you imagine, you just, what is it, was it like rent a whaler? I mean, I don't even know what would, that would be called. What do you even charge for that? If I just have to cry, it's $10 an hour. Um, but if you want te- real tears, it's 20 You know, I mean, it's just, it's just strange. But that was the way they did it. 
they were already there, which means that girl had been dead long enough for them to arrange it and for them to arrive. She wasn't sleeping. She was dead. Jesus simply takes her hand. She stands up. That's it. He didn't stand there for 20 minutes rebuking, decreeing and declaring that she would come back. She just, she just simply said, get up. That's authority. That's power. When death has to give up what it claims. You have the power over illness and injury. Being sick and injuring yourself is one thing. We all do that all the time. Sometimes, you know, chicks dig scars, kind of that thing. Other times, you don't want to talk about it because it was really stupid. That all happens. That happens to us. We heal, we get over it, we're done. But being sick or injured or in pain for years and decades is something very different. There's something different that happens in the life of a person who is in constant, agonizing, regular pain. You have a different mindset. Now, the lady that he's talking about here, the issue of blood, 12 years nonstop. Now, we might think, oh, that's, that's horrible. That's, no, you, you don't understand. Just from a medical standpoint, the ability of your body to replace that much blood that often with that kind of society and nutritional deficiencies is astronomical. She would have been monstrously weak. She would have been hugely anemic. She would have had no base. Her muscle mass at this point would have been gone. She would have been, I mean, there are parts of her body that could have, I mean, just, just, just started just not functioning anymore. How she didn't end up with organ failure of some kind is a miracle. She was so desperate, all she wanted to do was touch a piece, not even Jesus, his clothes. And God saw that. God saw that. And when she touched Jesus, in the other Gospels you'll read, it wasn't something he was planning on doing. It's something God did through him because of her faith. In the other Gospels it says, and he perceived power had left him. That, to me, is incredible. But are we to say that there's no one that ever exists today that has that kind of faith? That's that kind of desperate? Why her? What was the difference? How about this one? Power over disabilities. What's the difference between an injury and a disability? A disability is typically something you're born with or a catastrophic injury where there's no hope of ever being fixed. Most people at this point in time, born blind, they've never seen anything. They've never, I mean, can you imagine trying to explain blue to someone who has never seen in their life? Warm? That might be the sun. How about anything that we perceive with our sight? They wouldn't have any idea. It's pretty amazing when you think about the extent of that disability. These guys were blind, blind, not sort of blind, dark. And they just heard that Jesus was coming. 
And they knew they weren't going to see him and be able to run to him, so they just started yelling out. Son of David, heal us. Have mercy on us. Jesus asked him that most amazing question. Do you really think I can do this? Think about the simplicity in that question. Do you really think I can heal you? He had just healed that lady. He's on his way to raise a girl from the dead. I I think at this point people are going, yeah, probably. I think it's better than 50-50. Yes, you can. He said, you know what? I can be healed. Just don't tell anybody. I don't know if they were listening at that point. And then he shows his power and authority over the demonic. This guy was not only possessed, he was also mute. Now, we don't know if the demon was suppressing his ability to speak, because we're not actually told, okay? Not, not, not in this gospel. We don't, we don't know for sure. But either Jesus removed the demon and healed his voice or removed the demon that was suppressing his ability to speak. I don't care which one is true. I think it's unbelievable. Well, it's completely believable because it's Jesus. It's just miraculous all the way around. And it's not like he walked up to the guy, grabbed him by his head, and started yelling, Get out! (laughs) Thinking of a Fraser episode. Get out! Some of you have no idea what I was just talking about, and that's fine. He basically just said, Leave. You notice we're not given a whole lot of details? About how these things happen. We're just given the description that they happen. One of the things that helps you understand in the writing is that it, it helps you understand that the details were so unimportant and, and less than fabulous. When Jesus speaks to the storms, when, you, when they're crossing the lake and the storm comes up, the disciples are like, we're all going to die. Jesus gets up, rubs his eyes, looks at the clouds, says, shut up! Glass. No waves, no wind, nothing. Jesus looks at the demonic and just says, just leave. And they go. Power over death, power over injury, power over disability, power over the demonic. And such easy power. It's not like he had to go work out in a spiritual gym before he's like, you know, guy, I got to spend five days praying before we're going to do this. No, he just walked into a town and did it. It was that simple for him. If it's that simple for him, it begs the question, and this is what plagues people so often, if Jesus is Lord over death, illness, disabilities, and the demonic forces in this world, how is it that Jesus can heal and then chooses not to heal? How is it that Jesus has victory over death, yet we still die? How is it that Jesus can order a disability to leave, but there are still disabled people on the, on the, in the world? How is it that Jesus has authority over demonic forces in this world, but there are still demonic forces in this world? How can I trust that God is for me when the only answer I get is no? But somebody else will get a yes. How can I trust a God that is selective of who he blesses? Anyone ever been there but me? 
There is not a one and done answer to this. But I can show you a couple things that I think we all need to understand. And they might not be very easy for us to hear. God leads the people of Israel out, uh, uh, out of Egypt. <clears throat> they wander for 40 years. They're about to go into the land of Canaan where God promised them a home, promised them blessings. They're about to go into a multi-year-long war where many of them will die. Many of them will be permanently injured. Husbands, families are going to lose fathers. Some families will lose mothers. Others will lose children. This is all about to happen. Where God could have just snapped his fingers and removed everybody from the land. This is the advice God gives the nation. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I'm sorry. What? It says, I will walk with you through every battle. but you still have to fight. How about this one? Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the wilderness, notice he said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. You say things like this to people when they're going to have to go through it anyway, and when they're in the middle of it, they're like, I don't know, these flames look like they're scorching. You know what? When the waters rise, they may not take Jay down the river, but I am dead. Which is why I will climb on Jay's back. okay <laughs> we'll get a floaty I don't know whatever we got to do how about this Isaiah 41 10 fear not for I am with you okay you only tell someone to fear not when there's a reason to fear be not dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you you only strengthen someone when they're moving into a position where they need strength I will help you. I will uphold you with my right, righteous right hand. Oop. Listen to this. For I consider, this is Romans 8, 18 through 28. I want you to listen carefully to the entire section. For I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time, are not even worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who, who subjected it in hope. So we are subjected, but in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, uh, we also who have the first fruits, uh, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. 
even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved into this hope, but hope that is seen, pay attention, hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it, for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with, groans, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind and the, uh, and the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We love to quote the last one, but we forget where it starts. I don't even consider the sufferings of this world worthy to be compared to what I know is coming because I know that all of this garbage that I'm going to have to go through because I am still on this earth and this earth is still broken, this earth is still cursed, our bodies are still broken, our bodies are still cursed, everything and everything around us will eventually burn and be replaced with a new one. All of this stuff is temporary, and I know nothing that happens in this life will even deter me a millisecond away from what's coming. Because all of this, God will work for his purposes. And we are to trust in that. I'm going to read you one more section of scripture, and I hope after what we've been listening to, you will read this differently. This is one of the most most, um, most popular, famous psalms David ever wrote, and he did not write it in terms of a, in, in, in the idea of victory. He wrote it because of the crap he was going through. He wrote it from a heart of desperation, and hopefully it brings hope to us, because if David has to deal with that, I'm pretty sure we will too. Listen to Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Do you restore something that's undamaged? There's only one reason to restore something, and that's because it's broke. He restores my soul. Listen to the next part. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, hold on. Why do you lead someone in the path of righteousness? Because they're not on it. You lead someone to the path of righteousness because they're either struggling with it or they got off of it. So you lead them back. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So encouraging. I will fear no evil. Now, what does that mean? That means that even when I'm in the darkest place of my life and I'm surrounded by evil because it's going to happen, I will fear none of it. Bring it on. What are you going to do? Send me to heaven? Go ahead. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why does a shepherd carry a rod and a staff? Because the wolves want their sheep. That's why. 
and the shepherd has to be ready to strike. And when a wolf is coming at your, at your sheep, you don't strike to injure. You take it down. You have wolf soup for supper. Listen to this. Listen to verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemy, you pull out a picnic. I want you to think about something. You're in the midst of the most difficult time in your life. You just got done winning a battle with the prophets of Baal, and all of a sudden, someone decides they want to kill you. You're running for your life. You're scared to death. You fall asleep at the foot of a tree. An angel shows up and says, I brought lunch. You're thinking, God, I need help. What is going on? He goes, no, no, no. You need a sandwich. Sit down. It's peanut butter, jelly, and potato chips. You're going to love it. <laughs> Tuna fish with potato chips in it. That's, that, that's pretty good. But God prepares the table for me in the presence of my enemies. I have, so, I have so much peace surrounded by my enemies that I can take time and enjoy a meal while they're planning my destruction. My destruction. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Anointing my head with oil has two purposes. One was to declare someone a ruler. The other reason why you anoint someone with oil was to heal an injury. Surely, please, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me ask you this. Is God for us if he allows difficulty and struggle in our life? Let me put it to you in a way that I hope everyone here can understand. As a parent, if you give your child everything they will ever need or want or ask for, what do you end up with? You end up with a beyond a brat. Spoiled, good for nothing, wasted humanity is what you end up with. They believe that they are entitled for everything they want simply because they are them. Why, do you, why should you have that? Because it's because I want it. Well, that's a great, that's a great reason. I love it when I see parents, when I'm, I'm, I'm visiting someone, I see a parent talk to a kid and they say, give me that. And the parent does. I think, oh boy. I feel bad whoever hires that little kid. Because it's not, give me that. It's, mom or dad, can I have that? Eventually, that child will not only be spoiled and, and pretty much useless to society, they'll grow up and they'll resent the person who provided it to begin with. You think about this. People talk about living in these worlds 
where if God really loved us, we wouldn't have the need that we want. We wouldn't have the disease that we have. We wouldn't have the issues that we have. Let me, let me, let me roll, back the, 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 uh, uh, roll back to an earlier time frame. You've got Adam and Eve who had everything they could ever want, everything they could ever desire. They didn't have to work. They didn't have to cook. Food just was literally all around them. They had anything and everything they would ever want. They still rebelled against God. Because what God gave them wasn't enough. I think God knows that there is something profoundly powerful about need. It clears up our vision. And it makes things, it brings truth right to the surface, doesn't it? Need does that. And I think that's why, myself, I think that is the core reason why God does not step in as often as he does. Because he knows we need our pain. We need our issues. Because we need something to get through. Because whatever we're getting through, the destination is that we would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If sickness is your issue and you're going through it and you never see health again and that sickness eventually claims you, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You understand what I'm saying? If poverty has taken you and that's the thing you have to go through and you never see wealth, but you are serving God in that struggle, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And those struggles are not even worth comparing No matter how we look at the world around us, we can never allow ourselves the deceitful luxury of believing that the Lord is not with us and for us. It makes no matter what's going on in our lives or the lives of the people around us. God is, not, is always there. He is always with you. He is always working behind the scenes on your behalf, whether you recognize it or not. But we also have to remember that we have a responsibility in this. He might lead you by still waters, but you've got to follow him to those still waters. He may prepare a table in the presence of your enemies, but you've got to sit at that table. You have a role to fulfill in this. Don't make the mistake of believing that everyone around you can read your mind about what your needs are. We can't. 